Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to part one of our brand new series, The Birds and the Bees. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Genesis chapter one is where we are starting. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creation that moves along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made. Come on, you can't miss this. And it was very good. Very good. So over the next three weeks, um, I want to answer a question every single week. And the question that I'm going to answer is going to be our title. And so our title for today is the question, Who Am I? Who Am I? Come on, let's put our hands together and you guys can find your seat in the place this morning. So glad that you could be here. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us. And once again, thank you guys for making it out in the cold. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is the coldest day in our church's history. I don't keep track of stuff like that, but it's probably up there. Uh, it's a cold Sunday, and so everyone watching online, hey, love you guys. Uh, but get here next week. It ain't that cold. <laughs> Um, so, we uh, today are beginning a brand new series that I'm excited about, and again, if you missed it, my name is Harrison, and uh, just so glad you could be here, uh, but we are beginning a brand new series called The Birds and the Bees, The Birds and the Bees, and in this series, we are going to look at three things in specific, creation, sex, and relationships, Come on, man. Can someone match Dennis's energy in the place today? Let's go. Uh, so if you guys don't know this, um, relationship series are typically some of the most popular series that we do here at Kingdom Church, most talked about. Uh, if you go on YouTube, uh, if you're on YouTube, stay on me for a second. But if you go there and you go to our popular messages, just click popular messages, and you will see uh, that pretty much like the whole top ten is all relationship messages, and so I know a lot of us are excited for this series, and uh, what's crazy is that we haven't done a relationship series since 2021. Some of us are like, yeah, what's, like, was a couple months ago? Um, No, it's 2024 now, Uh, and this might be shocking, but 2021 was three years ago now. Hard to believe, because it feels like it was just 2020. Um, So it's been three years since we've done a relationship series. I know Hopefully some of us are excited for this, Um, but as you see our great and fancy graphic, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, okay, sex, I'm excited for that, except if I'm a teenager with my parents. Um, Relationships, looking forward to that, but like, Harrison, what's up with like the creation bit? Like, why are we hitting on creation in a relationship series? Um, Well... For a number of reasons, Um, I think a part of it is because, number one, so much has changed since we last did a relationship series. Um, But the truth is that if we don't know where we came from, we will struggle to know who we are. 
This is really important. If we don't know where we came from, we will struggle to know who we are. And if we don't know who we are, we're going to struggle to have healthy relationships and we're going to struggle um, to view our sexuality in a healthy way. And so who you are, in many cases, is determined by where we came from, which is why I'm hitting on that creation question for a number of weeks. And I also think it's important because we are in a cultural moment right now here in North America, here in the West, where people are more confused <clears throat> than ever in terms of who they are. How do I see myself? How do I understand my identity? How do I understand my sexuality? How do I even understand my gender? And so I think overarching what that lets me know, these questions that people are asking, a lot of it is, is connected to this bigger question of like, where did I even come from? Because where I came from determines who I am. Um, one of the things that we're going to talk about in this series is that we are shaped uh, a lot by our families. Like where you came from as a family really shapes who you are. And, and one thing for men uh, in specific is that men are shaped by their fathers. Like you are shaped by your father. So the role of a father is very important. Um, and I saw this principle um, at play uh, in a particular way this past Christmas when I got to spend Christmas uh, with my brother-in-law, Kyle. Now, Kyle's dad uh, is different than my dad and one of the ways that you will know just the differences between my dad and Kyle's dad is simply what Kyle and I asked for for Christmas. You see, I asked for clothes for Christmas. Kyle asked for a crowbar. My dad doesn't know what a crowbar is. <laughs> and so um, my dad likes clothes and that's kind of what I asked for for Christmas. And so there was this funny moment uh, on Christmas where, like, everyone's getting their gifts. It's mostly, like, my kids getting stuff. But I got a stack of a couple things of clothes. And uh, Kyle, he's got a crowbar. And uh, what was funny was that it, it was actually my mom uh, that, that got him this crowbar. And so at first, uh, Kyle wanted to be polite because uh, he didn't actually ask for a crowbar. He asked for a pry bar. I don't know what a pry bar is either. But instead, uh, he, he asks, he gets a crowbar. And so Kyle is sitting there with his crowbar. And to be honest, you know, my upbringing, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about this kind of stuff. But I do know what a crowbar is, um, at least in terms of what it looks like. And so I was sitting there Christmas morning, and I asked Kyle a question. I said, hey, Kyle, like, what is the actual purpose of a crowbar? Because, like, if you guys can see this thing, there's a whole lot going on. There's a sharp edge. There's this thing. <laughs> and so I said, Kyle, I said, what's the actual purpose of the crowbar? Because to be honest, the most I've really seen the crowbar be used is, like, something like this. Included. That kind of worked out I, in a big bang. And so I just, I asked him, because you guys have seen like people breaking into windows and, and all these things. And I'm like, what's the actual purpose of the crowbar? And he said, uh, he said, to be honest, he's like, I don't know the actual 
purpose of the crowbar, but the crowbar can do a whole bunch of different things. Like it's used for leverage, you can take out nails, you can do a whole bunch of things with the crowbar, but I don't know the actual purpose, like why it was actually created. And I was thinking about when he said that, and it made me think that this is where we are when it comes to humanity. A lot of us know a whole bunch about humans. Like, because humans, we have infinite capabilities and potentials, and we can do a whole bunch of things. But if you were to ask someone, point blank, like, why are you actually here? Where did you come from? What is your purpose? I think a lot of us wouldn't necessarily know the answer to the question. Now, it's interesting. I looked up the history of the crowbar. It has a rich history. Um, But the crowbar is actually kind of like the hammer in the sense of like it's actually ambiguous in terms of when it was actually created. Like when you look it up, like people will say the crowbar has existed for thousands of years. Maybe not in this exact form, but something to do with like like a leverage kind of thing. It's been there for a long time. And what's interesting though is that when it's ambiguous in terms of where something came from, no one can actually say one way or another what its actual purpose is. If you don't know who created it, all that we do as best is kind of try to figure it out. Now, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, he used this word in Greek called telos. And he said the telos, which really is the end goal or the purpose of something, He said the telos of something, the purpose of something, is usually self-evident. Meaning that you don't need someone to tell you what the purpose of something is. You'll just know. But the truth is, in those times when it's ambiguous, the simplest principle is that you go back to the creator because the creator will be able to tell you what its actual purpose is. Does that make sense? Now, when it comes to humans... The truth is, we're in a place, especially in Canada, where there wouldn't necessarily be a consensus on where we came from. Now, you're in a church today. I'm a pastor. I'm not an apostate. And so I'll let you know that I think that we came not from somewhere, but from someone. But what's important, and and I'm answering the question, why are we digging into creation for a number of weeks in a relationship series? Um, It's because I don't think we're in a cultural moment right now where I can just start giving you advice on how to thrive in a monogamous, heterosexual relationship. Because we're in a cultural moment where not everyone would agree, number one, on monogamy, monogamy meaning one partner. Um, And we're certainly not in a cultural moment that would say heterosexual relationships are the ideal or are even what we should strive for. So I can't just start talking about submission, like husbands submit to your wives, um, when we have all this ambiguity, something like that, um, in terms of where we came from. So that's where I got to start this series and build out and uh, really it's, it's in It's like I planned this. It really won't be till February that we start getting into the romantic kind of stuff. So January, I'm going to answer some big questions about where we came from. So uh, let's get started there. Uh, Where did I come from? So origin story. So basically, we're in a moment right now where there would probably be 
two basic answers to the question of where I came from. Number one, people would say some sort of intelligent design, i.e. a creator. Now, obviously, not everyone would necessarily jive with the God of the Bible, um, but one of the options that many people would say is that if we came from somewhere, there is an intelligent designer who exists maybe outside um, of, of our particular time and space. Uh, there's a creator. Number two uh, would essentially be nothing. Now, the most popular uh, theory right now would be that of like evolutionary biology. And uh, if you guys know the whole story uh, of evolutionary biology, there's a big bang and there's a bunch of cosmic storms. And over time, eventually, like billions of years, there's, you know, death and decay and, and, and the bacteria grows and evolves. And, and ultimately, if you understand, uh, you guys, I'm taking you back to biology class. I don't want to bore anyone. But if you guys remember the whole warm pond, you guys remember this? So all the bacteria in the warm pond, uh, eventually blue, green algae. Uh, known as cyanobacteria, uh, over time, uh, eventually becomes you and I. Billions of years. <laughs> Amen. Um, and so, uh, ultimately, one is like a whole lot of chance. Number two, which we say nothing. It's just, you know, eventually we came here. Not, nothing in specific, just billions of years um, of evolution. Or number two, which we have number one, intelligent design. Uh, now, for this whole series... I'm going to go with option number one, that there's intelligent design. I know, spoiler, like we're in church. Um, however, and, and this series is not apologetics stuff, which is why I'm kind of just hitting on the science stuff um, briefly here. But I actually do believe that option number one is actually the most scientific option. I think it is the most logical option. I think it's the most sociological option like, that just makes sense. But if you don't agree, that's totally fine. Some of you guys are like, Harrison, you're out to lunch. Um, I'm team evolutionary biology. I don't believe in faith. I believe in the cold, hard facts. Totally fine. I just want to share with you six things. Six things, six assumptions that are true if evolutionary theory is correct. This is important. Because um, I want to show us something. So number one, these are six assumptions. Number one is this. Nothing produces everything. Number two, randomness, the randomness of the universe somehow produced fine-tuning. If you don't know this, this universe is perfectly fine-tuned. Number three, non-life produces life. Number four, out of the chaos produced information. Number five, unconsciousness produced consciousness. And number six, non-reason produced reason. Those are six assumptions that we come into agreement with if we believe in evolutionary biology as the means in which uh, the answer to everything, where we came from. Now, if you believe that, that's okay. What I want to say, though, is that you and I, me being someone that believes in intelligent design, we might have more in common than we care to believe. Because I think both of us come from a faith position where there are things that perhaps don't, uh, aren't just as simple as cold hard facts. So um, I want to share a quote. Uh, there's a man named Quentin Smith. And uh, one thing that we've said is that who I am is determined by where I came from. So Quentin Smith, he's a, a professor of philosophy uh, at Western Michigan University. He's an author. He's an atheist. He's a debater. He's written books, articles, all these things. This is what he says. He says, the most reasonable belief is that we came from nothing 
by nothing, and for nothing. He says, when you understand the whole theory of evolution, when you put all the facts together, he says, this is my worldview. We came from nothing, by nothing, for nothing. Now, the atheistic worldview, if you don't know this, um, is actually fairly new in terms of human history. It's only in the last 400 years or so uh, that it's kind of taken off. Before that, pretty much every culture in every place believed in some type of creator or intelligent design. Um, nevertheless, the point is, we are always at the mercy of that which we believe. And so what you believe in terms of where you came from will play a great role in how you see yourself. And what I think is that we are in a culture right now where perhaps more people than ever would ascribe to this idea. Hey, I'm here by nothing, for nothing. But the truth is, if I just believe that, it's going to come out in my life in some way. And I think that if I really just believe my purpose on earth is literally just to essentially carry on the human gene, it's no wonder that we're in a moment right now where people are perhaps feeling more hopeless than ever, more lost than ever, more without purpose than ever. But I do think if there's a creator specifically, I think the creator of the Bible, if what scripture says is true, everything changes. Now, what I wanna do over the next number of weeks is I don't wanna convince you that God is real as much as I wanna show you that the principles that we see in scripture, I think speak to the truth of what it means to be human. And so if it speaks to the truth of what it means to be human, perhaps the God behind it is actually real. And as I kind of pull this stuff out um, and answer this question today of who I am, um, I think you'll see how it relates to relationships. So kind of a long introduction, but this whole, this whole thing today is kind of an intro to our series. So Genesis chapter one is where I want to start. Verse one, because we're going to answer the question where I came from uh, as the Bible tells us. Number one, our verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if you're new to the Bible, Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and this is the first verse in the Bible. So as Christians, the general understanding is that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And so as God inspired him to write these words, very first thing that he inspires him to say is important. Because, like, if you're going to tell your, your someone about yourself, the first things that you tell them are usually the things that are most important to you. And so when God is letting us know about him, the first attribute that we get is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the very first thing that we learn is that God is the creator. Everything around us, God is the one that created it. Now, I'm here to let you know, that is the worldview that I am coming about for the next eight weeks. That God is the one that made all of this stuff around us. Now, what's interesting, it's kind of a side note, but in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, uh, the creation account, if you go into it trying to understand how God created the world, I think you'll come away disappointed. Because the purpose of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is not so much to show us how 
the world was created as much as who created it. That is the big theological point of Genesis chapter 1. And that is what we need to see. God is creator. And so what I know about creation is that creation is always subject to its creator. Meaning this, the creator is the one who gets to define creation and its purpose. So, as I said, if there is no creator, if we don't know where this thing came from, then the purpose is always ambiguous. Meaning, you can't tell me for certain that this thing is not actually supposed to cut down trees. It might take a long time. You might experience some pain. But over time, you probably could cut down a tree, at least a small tree. But is that really its purpose? Now, the beauty of a creator is that the creator is always able to define for creation its purpose, its roles, and understanding of who they are. And so what is beautiful about understanding this, this, this theme in Genesis, is that because there is a creator, that means that all of creation is defined. Now, we don't know for certain. Some of us say, well, Harrison, you can't prove God. Fine. But what I want to do is I want to follow the evidence. And do we live in a world as people, do we interact, do we see each other as cosmic accidents? Or do we actually view people, do we view society? Is there things inside of us that are ingrained within us, justice and love and beauty and art, that perhaps point to something more than just a great accident? But the point is this. If creation isn't, and I want you to write this down, if creation isn't defined, then nothing in creation is actually, can have a definition. And we may think, it doesn't matter where I came from. It doesn't matter. But what I'm going to show us, especially as we dive deep into relationships, most of the pain that we enter into when it comes to relationships is actually brought back to this bigger picture that we don't know who we are. We don't know where we came from. And even more so, we don't have definitions and we don't have boundaries that help to protect us. And so in Genesis, what we learn is that God is creator, meaning creation is defined by that creator. And so I'm going to fly through Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. I don't have it. I'm going to recap it. God creates everything, sun, sky, birds, trees, all the stuff. And every single day, um, as God creates, the day finishes, and it says, it was good. It was good. Day one, it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, it was good. You get the picture? Now, in the creation account, days one to five, we don't see humans. Humans don't come till day six, and that's where we pick it up in Genesis chapter one, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So listen to this. The creator 
is always above creation. Now, in the atheistic worldview, if you really dive down the philosophical rabbit hole, you'll have a hard time telling someone as a human that they are more valuable than a tree. You can try, but it's tough because you really all kind of came from the same place. Now, the biblical worldview is that we also all came from the same place. I came from the same hands as the guy that created the tree. However, in Genesis chapter 1, there is something very specific that is in there that God wants us to know about humanity simply because God wants you to know you're not just a tree. I know some of y'all love your fur babies, but guess what? You're not like your cat. Some of you, if you are, you're sick. I don't like cats. Um, <laughs> we're talking about sin uh, in a couple weeks. Cats are a result of that. Um, 1 verse 26, God says, let us make mankind in our image. What God is saying, he's saying humanity, this is important, is distinctly different than the rest of creation. It is distinctly different. You are not just an animal. You are not just bacteria. Humans are created in the image of God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is so cool. As men, you distinctly reflect the glory of God differently than a woman does. And as a woman, you reflect the glory of God differently than a man does. And in week four, my wife's coming up here, and we're going to talk together about it. It's going to be amazing. But the whole point is this. this is the big thing I want us to see when it comes to Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, is that the creator is giving value to us as creation. And he is giving us a value that is higher than anything else on this earth. Now, the beautiful thing is, as believers, we believe that everything here is beautiful. As much as it pains me to say cats are still God's creation. And so they have worth. They have value, right? We are supposed to care for our environment. Why? Because God created it. But guess what? We are the crown of creation. We have value. Now, some of us are like, well, Harrison, what happens if I don't feel valuable? What happens if I don't feel worth it or worthy? Guess what? It doesn't matter. Because the creator is the one that assigns the value to its creation. This principle, you see it in art all the time. You want to know why art is valuable? It's not because of what is created. It's because of who created it. If I painted the most beautiful picture in the entire world, no one's paying more than 10 bucks for it. But like Picasso, have you guys seen some of the old art sometimes? You're like, what is this? And it's like, this is worth $1.5 million. You want to know why it's valuable? Not because of what you see, but because of who created it. So, so listen, because I don't know if you guys are cold or what, but God, the creator of everything, has assigned you and I value. Not because of anything outside of who he is. Because his hand is on our lives, you have great value. We are created in his image. We carry his glory. We can't miss this, because if I don't think I carry his glory, if I don't think I'm worth it, if I don't think I'm valuable, beautiful, worthy of dignity, respect, honor, I can't, I can't even talk about relationships. Because it's not going to matter. 
right? Like, don't swipe more than five. Like, stupid advice. I need to first know who I am. I'm created in his image. You know, one of the roles as parents, and a number of us in this room were parents, one of our primary roles is to instill in our children a sense of value and a sense of worth. And there is no one that can instill worth and value into a child's life like that of a parent. And that's one of our primary jobs. And, and it's crazy because, like, if you look into studies, and, and um, I encourage you, look it up, but if you want to know about, like, incarceration rate, why people end up in prison, um, why people drop out of school, poverty, homelessness, there is one theme that you will see that ties all of these things together more than anything else. It's not race. It's not where you live. One of the main markers, well, poverty, definitely where you live has an impact, but um, one of the main markers is people that grew up in a home that was absent of one or both parents. Most specifically, people that don't have a father, that grow up without a father figure in their house, you'll see the children and the impact it has on their lives. Because the primary role of a father, the primary role of a parent is to instill in their children a sense of value and a sense of worth. And I believe to have a father's heart is to let their children know how valuable they are. And so it's no coincidence because the Bible doesn't just let, God, let, let us know that God is our creator. It uses an even better word. It says God is our father. And as our father, he instills worth in us. He tells us who we are. And so it's no coincidence that the Bible starts by God defining who he is. Listen, I'm the one that created all this stuff. I am the reason you're here. And that means you're valuable. That means you're worth it. You know, one of, one of the worst things um, about being a parent, uh, specifically about being a parent to, to little girls, um, is that I have a real hard time watching movies now. Because um, I find myself getting overly emotional sometimes. Um, <laughs> I was, I was watching, um, <laughs> I, I was watching Ant-Man, um, <laughs> like I'm telling you, overly emotional, um, and, and the third Ant-Man that wasn't very good and got very porous reviews, um, and I was talking to like my brother, uh, he's like, did you like that movie? I was like, I was getting emotional during that, he's like, during Ant-Man, like during the bad CGI, what was, but there was a scene, um, where Cassie, the daughter, is getting sucked into the quantum realm. <laughs> and as she's getting sucked into the quantum realm, she's like, and her dad's there. And she's like, Dad! Horrible CGI in this scene. But as she's getting sucked in, so am I. Because I'm like, what if Abby got sucked into the quantum realm? <laughs> what if Kensley got sucked into the quantum realm? And I'm getting like emotional watching these things um, because I have the heart of a father. But... It's a funny story, but, but I was thinking, like, man, if, if I care about my kids in that way, how much more does God care about us? And if I, if I don't know and don't understand that there's a Father in heaven who has a heart for me that loves me more than anything, I'm worthy, I'm valuable because my Father says so. If I don't know that, man, I'll be in big trouble. And I think that our culture is in the place it's in right now because our culture has a real big identity issue. Not even knowing who we are, but knowing where we came from. And so many of us are wandering around, we don't know it, with an orphan spirit. 
And an orphan spirit says, I don't know where I came from. And so I don't know if I'm worth it. I don't know if I'm valuable. And, and I just want to say this, as people in this church, you know, we, we play a role in that as well, to be spiritual fathers, to be spiritual mothers, not to our own kids, but also to our church body. Because as God's ambassadors, we reflect his heart. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, there are no ordinary people. He says, you have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals, people created in the image of God, that we joke with, that we work with, that we marry, that we snub, and that we exploit. You see, the biblical answer to the question of who am I is so simple. You and I are children of the Most High God. We are children of the creator of the universe. And that changes everything. And so as we start this series, if I can put one thing into your spirit, it is this. Your identity has to begin not with your job, not with your gender, not with your relational status, not with your sexuality, not with how much money you have in your bank account, but your identity needs to be rooted in this idea that I am a child of God. Because, man, I, I love, you know, I love having little kids because they just show me so much, like, how God sees us. And one of the best things about being a little kid is that you don't got to worry about so much stuff. Oh, my parents will take care of that. They'll do that. It's funny, I was... I was talking to Abby, my daughter. She's four yesterday. And um, we were just talking about um, people outside right now in the freezing cold. Uh, and she said, well, how come they don't have homes? And it's kind of a hard question to explain to four-year-olds. Um, but one of the things she didn't understand um, is where our home came from, where, where anything that we have comes from. All they know is they have parents <laughs> who provide everything. And that gives them peace. And that gives them identity. And so, you know, in her questions and her innocent heart, I just thought to myself, man, what if we could just begin to like have that just like almost naive trust in our parent above? That he's gonna take care of it, that I'm his child. Because man, relationships become so much easier. All this hard stuff becomes so much easier. Because the truth is, if I don't know where I came from, I'm just a crowbar. And some of us, that's how we live our lives. Never actually reaching our intended purpose, using really our lives as an instrument of pain. But what I, what I wanna do in this series is I wanna change everything. Not just in our relationships, but how we see each other and how we see ourselves. So I got a really big question to ask us that I hope God brings some clarity over the next eight weeks. It's simply this, am I a tool to be used or a child that is loved? Come on, when you really look at your life, am I a tool to be used or a child that is loved? Now I know some of us like, I'm in church, I know I'm a child of God, but how do you actually live? 
come on, when it comes to how you work, are you just a tool or are you a child? In relationships, some of us are so used to being used and abused and not treated well and not seen, not understood, and we think we deserve it. I'm just a tool. But what I want to do and I want to affirm is that you are not a tool to be used, but you're a child that is loved. Verse 31, this is at the end of creation. It says, God saw all that he had made. So days one to five, it's all good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Then he creates us and he says, it was very good. It was very good. So if you've never heard this before, I want to let you know that you are very good. Not because of your job, not because of your credentials, not because your relational status, not because you are a man, not because you are a woman. You are very good because the creator who defines creation has called you as such. And my hope is that we as people can begin to carry this, carry this burden of glory. You and I carry a burden of glory because we're created in God's image. Now for some of us, this is the hardest thing in the world for us to believe. And it's not gonna just take one week or one message, but I wanna affirm something to you. I already said it, but I wanna reaffirm it. The role of a parent is extremely valuable in your life. And so some of us in this room, we feel like, man, I didn't have that. I was never affirmed, I was never seen, I was never loved, I was never cared to. And so no matter what we say about the heart of God, it's like I haven't seen it in my life. I just wanna affirm, I wanna let you know that no matter what you've been through as a, as, 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 as a child, God's heart for you is not what you've experienced. If what you've experienced is anything less than love and care and devotion. Isaiah 49, I want us to see this. God says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Now to answer this question, like 98% of the time is no. That's the heart of a mother. Like I, I'll, I'll give anything up for my kids. But sometimes they do. Some of us maybe experience that. But God says, though she may forget, come on, somebody, I will not forget you. Come on, though maybe you were never seen growing up, God sees you. You were never affirmed growing up. God affirms you. You are a child made in his image. You are loved. You are cared for. Listen, no one has ever told you, I love you. I'm proud of you. Listen to me. The Father in heaven says to you today, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I'm proud of you. I'm proud that you're here today. I'm proud that because of everything that you've been through, you're still standing. You don't know how proud I am of you. Verse 16, God says, I have, I have you have you, me, you, engraved on the palm of my hand. God knows your name. 
God sees your pain. God sees the longing. Because even if you had a great family, all of us have a longing. All of us want identity. So what I want to do more than anything as we begin this series, I want to break what I call the orphan spirit. And the orphan spirit is one of abandonment. It's a one of rejection. Because if I have an orphan spirit, I can promise you this, your relationships will never be healthy. Because you will always go into them hoping to either get something in order to be affirmed or thinking I have to give something in order that I have any worth. And both of those places leave us empty. But the beautiful thing and why scripture says we are no longer slaves, but we are heirs. We're sons and daughters. We're a royal priesthood. So to the orphan today, I say in the name of Jesus, there's a father that's never left, but if you've never seen him before, he's inviting you home, and he's inviting you into a relationship with him. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. You're not a tool to be used. You're a child that is loved. So let's stand for a second, church. let's just bow our heads for a moment I want to just pray a prayer over us in this place every head bowed every eye closed if you're in this place and you've ever felt like you've had that orphan spirit for whatever reason that spirit of rejection people don't value me people don't see me people don't know me my worth is rooted in my work come on if you've ever felt that spirit can you show me your hand I would love to pray for you and what I want to do in this moment on, there's so many of us. We, this is a common human struggle. I want us to just, in, in, in the posture of surrender, just, just raise your hand high and open your hands up. Father, in this place, you see every single one of us. You know our hearts, you know our longings, you know our cryings. So Father, right now, there are far too many of us in this space that see ourselves as orphans, that see ourselves broken and hurting and see ourselves as easily replaceable and see ourselves as not worth it, not worthy, not good enough. So Father, in this place, I just pray in this moment a spirit of release and a spirit of surrender. Father, we give way to your identity. Father, over these next eight weeks, God, I just pray that we don't see ourselves the way we've been seeing ourselves if it is contrary to what you say about us. So God, in this place, in this space, may we see ourselves how you see us. To the Son, you have what it takes. You're enough. To the daughter, you're loved, you're valued, you're beautiful. To the child, there's someone whose name, your name, is engraved on his hand. So Holy Spirit deposits something inside of us that we can see ourselves differently. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together.
Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you want more information about our church or want to get connected, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We can't wait to get to know you. Till next time, take care.